Good evening, y'all. Good after evening. Good after evening. It's after dinner. Out. After it's strudel. Barely. Barely outside. What time is it? 7.55. Yep, that's right. So we are going to do a lesson that is in the same vein as the healing series that we've already brought to a close. But as I finished that up, I thought we got to talk about James 5 because I've heard it used so often in the context of healing. You know, if you have enough faith, you have the oil. If you bring it before the elders and you have the laying on of hands, if you you know add one to the other and you have them all arranged just right, then you'll get what you what you ask for. Kind of like St. Joseph buried in your front yard to sell your house. What? Nothing. Some joke there that I don't get. It just went right. We we my just head. talked about it. St. Joseph buried in your front yard, so your house was sell. Oh, gotcha. No, I did not hear that. I was not in on that particular line of conversation all right because you but yes superstition in there okay i yeah. get that much all right gotcha. so there are a few different views on james 5 but we'll read the chapter first and then we'll talk about each one so we're going to be in james 5 starting in verse number 13 and we'll read all the way to verse 20 I find it <clears throat> so here we go james 5 verse 13 is there any among you afflicted let him pray is there any married? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, who was a man subject to like passions as are we, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. So, elders of the church, prayer of faith, anointing with oil, and there will be healing. Okay, that's the gist of it. So, there are three main views, as you can see on the PowerPoint slide, and they all deal with a particular understanding of faith. So, the first view is, According to those who hold it, it's a general promise for today. So if you do these things, you will see healing. Okay, so follow the instructions of Scripture. Take it to the elders. Prayer of faith. Anointing with oil. And if you do these things, then God's going to keep his promise. And I've been to stores around here since we're in the Bible Belt. Been to... What's that one place down in Canton that we've been to, that place where they sell pictures and furniture over there by Books a Million? Remember what that's called? Kirkland's. Kirkland's, yeah. I've been to Kirkland's, and in there they have Bible verses on plaques and stuff. And one of them wasn't a Bible verse. It was just a statement, and it was essentially to the effect of saying, faith isn't believing that God can do something. Faith is believing that God will do something. Mm. And while that may sound catchy and insightful, 
it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Okay, so I want to talk about that more because it ties into all of this. But the first view basically says faith will result in healing. Okay, no one really disputes the elders of the church. We know what elders are. Okay, no one really disputes the anointing with oil. We know what that is. We'll talk more about it in a minute. But, I mean, faith is really what it comes down to. But that's not true. So, in the context, faith is necessary for healing for sure. But the question is, will faith result in healing always without exception? And if it doesn't happen, if that's the case, doesn't that reflect upon your faith? Okay, well, healing didn't happen, but you prayed. You took this to the elders. We anointed this person with oil. It didn't happen. So that must mean you didn't have faith. Okay, because you got the other stuff, right? You got the elders and the anointing. So you must be insufficient in your faith. And that's how generally people will take it who hold this view. Now, they may not apply this exactly in the manner that is described. Some people would take it as just a general principle that if you have faith, you have enough faith, then you'll see healing. And we, mm. again, this series that we've already finished deals with that stuff, and we've gone into it in detail. And I think that we've done a good job of explaining healing and the context of the book of Acts and how we can't just take everything and apply it to our time today. We have to understand things dispensationally, but we're not going to rehash all that. I just want to look at some verses that talk about faith. And I think that what we need to understand is when James makes this statement, he's assuming that his readers have some knowledge of scripture. He's assuming that his readers have some knowledge already about faith and prayer. And so the verses that we're going to read I think that James wants his readers to have them in mind when they read this passage of Scripture. So the first verse we're going to look at is not too far away in 1 John. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John 5:14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So in verse 14, that's the key verse, really. It says, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now, here's the thing. We don't always know what God's will is. And I don't think any Christian would deny that. Um, if they're really pressed on it, do you know everything that God's got planned for your life or for the lives of other people? The answer surely will be no. So when it says, Whenever we ask something that's according to his will, what does it mean? Well, first off, whenever we pray, we should pray in such a way that reflects God's nature and reflects his revealed will. So if you ask something of God and it doesn't line up with Scripture, if it contradicts Scripture, that's obviously something that doesn't go along with his will and you're not going to have an answer to your prayer because, well, God's not going to contradict his essential nature. Mm. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, Ye ask, in the context of prayer, he says these words, Ye ask, and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Notice there, he doesn't say you don't have faith. He doesn't say that. He says you ask for the wrong thing. Mm. So they were going to God with some faith and asking him to do something. They just asked for the wrong thing. They weren't asking according to his general will as expressed in scripture. They were asking for things that were selfish. A new car. Yeah, a new car. We'll, yeah, put, the, we'll put the prayer in the slot machine and you know push the right button and we think that God's going to give us what we genie. want. Cosmic genie. Cosmic genie. Money to build a 
Now, <clears throat> some people. God answered that prayer, so it must be his will. There you go. <laughs> and you know what? <clears throat> this doesn't mean that we can't ask God for things. That's true. That pertain to our lives. I mean, if you really need a car to get around, mm-hmm. okay, my van, shoo, we're going to be praying for a new one soon. <laughs> Because we drive it all the time, and it's getting worn out. You know, I have to buy yeah. a new one. And when we buy a new one, we're going to ask God to provide us with a solid vehicle that right. we it's can trust. It's going to last a long time. That's right. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with praying that way. But when we pray selfishly or sinfully, that's what it's talking about here. So that's obvious, and most Christians would agree with that. But they would say, what about when it comes to something that we know God has a desire to do? It? God has expressed his desire to heal people, and one day he will deliver us from all sin right, and all sickness that comes from it. But and today death, is not that day. But today is not that day. And while God often does intervene and heal people, there are examples in scripture of him saying no when people ask for healing. Now, when these people ask, it's not a critique of their faith. He doesn't criticize it. So in 1 Corinthians, sorry, it's actually uh, 2 Corinthians. I typed that wrong on the notes. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12 We'll look at verse number 7 starting there, and then we'll get to verse 9, because that's the key. But 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet Mm -hmm. me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now when he besought the Lord, he besought the Lord of faith. Paul's a faithful guy. He's going to the Lord in faith. And he has good reason to believe that Jesus is going to hear his prayer and answer it, or else he's not going to go to prayer at all if he doesn't have that faith. But in verse number 9, it says the Lord finally responded to him. And I have this in red letters here in my Bible. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made purpose in weakness. Paul goes on and says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, so this shows that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We are not going to talk about what that thorn is, okay? It, no one knows, okay? There's so many different debates about it. It was SpongeBob. SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> so, Messenger from Satan. That's Christy's thorn in the flesh. So anyways, uh, we don't know what it is. You, there, there is a meme. Have you seen the meme? I have not seen and the it's meme. It's hysterical. It's Paul in prison. And SpongeBob is next to me. He's going, what are you doing, Paul? Writing a letter, Paul? What are you doing, Paul? And he's like, I am a messenger from Satan sent to torment me. That's a good one. I like it. So uh, we don't know exactly what it is. But the point is this. He asked Jesus to take it away. Also notice that Jesus answers his prayers. He's praying to the Lord. This is a side thought. But I mean, he's praying to Jesus. Okay. Jesus can be prayed to because he's God. We don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to angels. Right. We can pray to Jesus because he's God. We're not Mary. That's right. We don't pray to Mary either. But he says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So he's saying that it's not good for you, Paul. Okay? He doesn't say, Paul, you don't got enough faith, man. You come back to me later when you got stronger faith. Exactly. He says, what you're asking for isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I've got something else that I've planned for you, and I'm going to use this thorn in the flesh to teach you more about my grace, to teach you more about my strength. Okay, maybe that's not the answer that Paul wanted to hear initially, but he learns the truth of it. And that's why in verse number 10, he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. And he, he learns more of Christ and grows closer to him through all that adversity. And so 1 John 5.14 and 1 Corinthians 12.9 clearly indicate that God does not always give us what we ask for, even if we're asking for something that's consistent with his general will. So yes, we don't know all the details. Paul didn't know the details, uh, but he got an answer, which came from an omniscient Lord saying, I've got something else planned, and it's not to give you healing. Mm. Even though one day I will remove this thorn from you, Paul, it's not for right now. And so does that mean we should be discouraged from going to God in prayer? No. Okay. And I think that Paul would not have taken away from this. Okay? Anytime I get sick, anytime I'm in a, a hard situation, I'm not going to pray to God about it. Because he tells everybody who he writes to, pray for me. Okay. Pray for me that God will, will take this situation that I'm in, this imprisonment, and he will use it for his glory. Um, so Paul definitely would not have said, just give up on prayer because, you know, God's just got everything sorted out and there's nothing we can do about it. Paul would encourage us to pray as he does again and again in his letters. But he would also tell us based on this, that sometimes God's answer is no. And it may be a temporary no. It may just be a no for now. I mean, we all Mm -hmm. have examples in our lives where God says no for a while Mm -hmm. until eventually he says yes. Mm -hmm. An example in my life that comes up and this one, uh, goes back to when I was about to graduate from high school and I was wanting to go to Bible college. I knew God called me to ministry, but I couldn't afford Bible college. And I was frustrated. I didn't want to go to a public school, mm. like a public college. Right. I didn't want to waste my time doing that when I could be learning about the Bible and getting ready for ministry. And so I kept praying and kept asking God to open up a door. It didn't have to be one particular college. I did have one in mind, Drew at McConnell, but that door seemed to be closed. So I just kept praying and praying and praying. And I was talking to a, a mentor of mine. Um, and he was a pastor at the church that I was at, but he stepped down and another one came, but he stayed on and he was just a a really, really good spiritual guide for me. And so I talked to him, his name was David Legrand. And he said, I can tell you're frustrated. I'm like, yeah, I'm a little frustrated. I keep praying. I just don't feel like God's answering my prayer. And he said, Mm -hmm. well, buddy, maybe God's saying no just for now, because he wants you to learn to trust him. And he wants you to learn to take what he's given you already in his word and work on that. Okay, so he's giving you all these books. He's giving you a, a place to serve. So serve and leave Study. it to God. God mm-hmm. knows your prayer. Okay, give it to him. Trust him with it, and he'll reveal it in his own time. And I was like, all right, so I just need to hand this over to him. Quit stressing over it. He said, yeah. And so I stopped stressing over it. <laughs> I started serving. Me and Katie, we were serving in church. Uh, I can remember, you know, I was like, all right, we're going to serve in VP of EBS. We're going to just, you know, serve. You know, in Sunday school and this is before y'all are married. It's before no, yes, right before we married. Yeah, yeah before yeah. we married, we got married soon after. But um, yeah, this is before, and we were just actively involved in the church and serving. And then eventually, it wasn't. But maybe a couple months later, mm. that I kind of put it from my mind. Right, I wasn't thinking about it because I gave it to God. Mm-hmm. And then just the door opened up. I can remember telling my nana, uh, "I've been I've been asking God to give me the answer, black and white." And I had told her that again months yeah. prior to the answer to my prayer, but I was coming downstairs, you know, getting the sleep out of my eyes, about to have breakfast. And before I even walked down the stairs, I saw my Nana down at the bottom and she was crying. Mm. And I was like, oh gosh, I had lost several members of my mm. family from Tennessee that year mm. and the year before. And I was like, somebody's probably passed away. And uh, I said, Nana, are you okay? And she just looked up at me and she had a paper in her hand. She held it up and she said, buddy, black and white. 
And I was like, whoa, what? And so I went downstairs and I read the email and it was an email she had printed out and it was in black and white. It said, I want Buddy to come to Truett McConnell, that college that I had said I'm not yeah. going to be able to go to. I can't afford it. And I just, you know, set it aside. Uh, but it all just come together. And it's not necessary to know any more details than that. But yeah, it was a scholarship. I could go to Truett McConnell. I could afford it. And so... God, and take your lovely wife that wasn't your wife and, yet. And yes, God opened the door not just for me to go. He gave me more than I even asked for. He, mm-hmm. he gave me an opportunity for us to go to school together. Mm-hmm. And so and God blessed our years there. And we grew a lot. Uh, and so I, I think that uh, sometimes God does say no, but it's only for a time. Other times God says no, and it's an absolute no. It's just not good for you. Okay, right. that's, Maybe that's not the, maybe it's a yeah. career path that you planned and God's like, nope. I don't want you to do that. I want exactly. you to be a missionary. And you're like, whoa, okay. I wasn't yeah. asking about that. I wasn't wanting to do that. Well, this is what you're going to do. I want you to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, God may give you a hard no, and he may say no for now. And sometimes that prayer answer is dependent on someone else's free will. And God's not going to force them to do what it, it is that you want yes, them to and do. That's, that's another consideration. God, he knows all the contingencies. He knows all the factors involved. And, and I do believe that prayer I do really believe that prayer is effectual, as it says here. I think that it is powerful. I think that God does respond to it. You know, whenever we try to reconcile this with sovereignty and foreknowledge, it gets really confusing, and that's okay. Uh, I think that from the very beginning, God had all of this. And, you know, you didn't have to learn step by step, okay? It's not like God sat down at a desk and said, let's figure this out, okay? So Mm. I have this person I'm going to make. And this person's going to be in this situation. And if they make this choice, it'll go this way. And if they make this, mm-hmm. it'll go that way. And I know they're going to make this choice, but I could influence them and they might make another one. Like, I don't think God sat at a desk and thought that out. Okay. I think it all happened. You know, it's like eternal in the eternal now, as I think C.S. Lewis would have called it. It's just God's got all that knowledge all at once. Yes. And he plans it all at once. He doesn't have to plan it out like we do, learning and processing. And so, I, it really does baffle me how God can do that because he can take human free will, like you said, Christy, free agents, and he can, he can plan things sovereignly mm-hmm. without violating free will. Right. And, and so that's something called middle knowledge, the idea that God knows that um, if we choose this, this will result, and God knows what we will do. And so he knows that, okay, this person will do this and this will come from that decision mm-hmm. and he can put people in places just as he does today. Uh, but again, everything that he does will never contradict someone's choice. He'll never overpower them, which in fact, that makes his sovereignty even more amazing than the Calvinistic view. The Calvinistic view, it's so simple. God just sets up the pieces and it's like, go, yeah. okay, push the button, start, history begins. But it's even more amazing and highlights his glory to where he can plan everything and work around your mistakes and work around your mistakes and use people's freedoms. But yet yeah. in the end, the, the product was him. Mm-hmm. So it's it's human free will and sovereignty meshing in a non-contradictory manner. How he's able to do that. It's just him. He's God. He's perfect. So, anyways, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but... Uh, I just read an article on this earlier today, as a matter of fact. Um, it, what's the article called? How can you believe in both... How can, how can you believe both in God's foreknowledge and that man has power of choice? Um, it's actually by... Let me find the book again. 
Um, I gotta find it. What's the guy's name? The book is called What Love Is This? Dave Hunt? David Hunt. Yeah, it's a great book. Is it? Awesome. Um, the article was, you know, because in my mind, it's like, I don't, well, there's predestination, but there's the free will thing. But God knows it all just because he has, he knows us. That's where I was contemplating today. He knows me now, and he knows me Future. in my in my glorified body, mm-hmm. which is really weird to think about. From start to finish. Yeah. Perfect knowledge. He doesn't learn as you learn. Yeah. So he just knows. And so that's that's the crazy thing that like when God created, you know, in Molinism, it'd be like there are different possible worlds. Well, there's the actual world that we live in. There's so many different ways it could have gone. Sure. And when God created the world, it's like the ages were created. Yes. Um, and in Hebrews 1, 3 or Hebrews 1, 2, uh, it talks about him creating the worlds mm-hmm. and the word world has the idea of time so when he made the physical universe it was like the physical universe came into existence but also moments were set into motion that he not only knew about but he had planned out but again this planning doesn't violate free will Correct. it's not as if god said okay i want you to do this so you will do it it's he he knew what we would do and he takes that into account. Rather, our decisions, before we even made them, informed his his choice, what he would do. Yes. Um, and, and again, a lot of people would say, well, that puts the ball in your court. And sometimes they think that takes you know, the power out of God's hands. But no, no. he chose to lend us, to give us. He's also working through the Holy Spirit in us to help us choose the right yes, thing. Yes, even now. So even before. Yeah, right. Even after getting saved, it's not like it ends there. We still have freedom. And uh, and God doesn't force. He doesn't force his hand in our life. We can grieve the spirit. We right. talked about that uh, earlier this week. And so I think that that just shows that, again, God's so much more powerful, so much more knowledgeable yeah. than, than we often give him credit for. Because how could you create something as amazing? Okay. You know, setting setting aside the fact that there's sin, yeah, sin's bad. God didn't intend for there to be sin, but even despite sin, God's able to create beautiful things mm-hmm. out of the mess that we make, like the story of Joseph. Exactly. So that it's that's been happening all throughout history. You know, Joseph was you know no, no. abused by his brother, yeah. and but yet God, it it's like good. he was exactly where God wanted him to be. Right. Yes. Like God, how'd you do that? Did you like determine the brother's decision? No. Was shipping room last night. Shipping room last night. That's right. And he was exactly he just went to Joseph and talked about that whole thing of Joseph being. In he went the from pit. the pit to Potiphar's thing to prison to the palace. Yeah. yeah. And so everything that happened, their choices were involved, and they were people's real choices. Yes. It weren't choices that God made no. for them. But yet, by the end of it, God can say, "You're exactly where I wanted you to be." Yeah. Just like and Esther. There was, exactly, and there was no threat, no possibility of his plan not happening. Right. But yet. They were still free. See, yes. that's that's where you know I I understand and I respect a, a Calvinist highlighting sovereignty. Sure, but where they're wrong is they they in fact detract from God's glory yes. because they they sort of tie God's hands. They say the only way God could actually get things done is if, is if He forced it. But God's even more wise and amazing it's than you give Him credit that. for yeah. because He can have His way. Even with people sinning. That's right. 
And so, and, and in fact, sin often, you know, God, he's just uses it. He uses it plays into his hand. Yeah. He's like, you think that you're actually doing something like that really opposes my plan. Exactly. Yeah. I but mean, I don't you approve of I your actions. You I wish you would do different, but I can even turn that around and I can use it for my glory. And yeah. you're like, or, that's awesome. Well, it's not even, I could use this. I've already used this for my glory. Yeah. So you had free will to marry me. There was no forcing it. So anyways, yeah, but, but, but my point is he doesn't say, it's not like you make a decision and God makes a decision. You make a decision and God already knew you were going to make it's He's like five or, he's like way many, many, many chess moves ahead of you. It's not even a chess move. It's like he set it all in motion. Yeah. It's, but again, that's, it's foreknowledge. Yes. He does. There is a lot. I wouldn't say it's temporal. Again, this is all in eternity when he, right. So it's not, it's timeless. But there is, instead of a temporal priority, there is a logical priority where the logical priority is not what Calvinists say. Calvinists would say, God determines, therefore, he knows. Okay. Right? And this, the reason he knows everything that's going to happen is because he made it happen. The uh, the opposite, okay, I think is the correct biblical view. And it says there's a logical priority. God set in his, in his, uh, his will, he set in motion, he, he designed humans with freedom yep and he did know in that timeless eternity he knew all the contingencies all the different choices that people would make in different situations and he in light of things he knew people would do yeah in any given situation in any given era he created and when he created everything would happen just as he knew it would happen and the end result would be exactly as he planned so in that view, yes, there, there's a sense in which um, we make a decision mm-hmm. before he makes the decision, mm. but it's not in time, it's in eternity. Yeah. Long before we existed, he knew what decision we would make. Yeah. And so it's like it's all new and fresh to us because we're experiencing it day by day. Right. But from God's perspective, he's not blindsided. Like He knows exactly yeah. what's going to happen, and he knows how he's incorporated that decision you haven't made yet. And his plan, which which would explain why he was able, why Jesus was able to die on the cross for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Because he knows. Because he knows. Yeah, it's there's the the heresy. I will call it heresy because I think that's what it is. Uh, process theology or open theism that says God has to learn. Mm. So God can't know the future. Uh, he can only guess. It's probabilistic. He there's a good chance that man will do this, but he doesn't know man will do it until mm. man does it. And that's just not wrong, at all biblical. Outrightly wrong, but um, it's popular uh, among more liberal theologians mm. nowadays. But um, anyways, basically the main point that I think we've established well from scripture is man has faith and God gives us our freedom and we are to invest that faith in God's plan in a way that's consistent with his nature, but knowing that God may have something in store that we're not aware of. We simply are working with limited information, and we can ask for something that seems very reasonable, like, hey, God, heal this person. Mm. We know you love people. You've healed people just like this. I mean, you brought Lazarus back from the dead. You healed all these different people, so... You can heal this person. We have good reason to believe you will heal this person. 
please heal this person. And we do it in faith, knowing that God can and knowing that he He very well might do that, right? Mm-hmm. We're not automatically assuming that he won't, and we shouldn't. If we assume that he won't, then we're not praying in faith, okay? And I think that's been a problem in, in my case in the past. It's like, well, I know God can, but I doubt that he will. Or if you're doubting that he will, mm-hmm. you're not really right. praying in faith. But again, there there is a, a line there where one says, well, I I have good reason to believe he will, and I, I'm praying that he will, okay? You know, expectantly, hopefully, there's a line between that and I know God will. Mm. Like, I know for sure he will. And you know how I know he will? It's because God has told me that if I pray enough and I believe enough, then he will do it. Mm. Like, that's wrong. That's taking it too far. Unless God has personally spoken to you and said, I'm going to answer this this way. Yes. And that's that's the example of Elijah. And he does. The example of Elijah... Uh, is a good one because it talks about him praying for a drought three and a half years and then praying for rain. Well, if you go back to the context uh, specifically when it talks about him praying that it will rain after three years and six months, God had told him. It's fine. What what was that? (laughs) Random random phone interruption. But uh, God told Elijah for sure that he was going to send rain on the earth. And so when it says he prayed that there would be rain and there was rain, he prayed in faith, but it was faith in the revealed will of God. God had already said, Elijah, I'm going to send rain after three and a half years. And he still prays for it. Okay. And I think this, this shouldn't surprise people. Um, We ought to pray. Even if we were in a situation like Elijah, where we know that it's going to happen. Uh, for example, we got the apostles. They are commissioned with the laying on of hands that the Samaritans can receive the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay? But it says they do pray. So it's like, yes, God told them that he was going to use them to accomplish this. Okay, he gave them that gift. He gave them that commission. But they still pray. Why they still pray? Because it's all by faith. Because ultimately, it's God the one working these things. It's not some power that we have in and of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and again... That contradicts this belief that if you have enough faith, you can make things happen. Because in that case, it is a power that you have. But Elijah knew that it wasn't in him, it was in God. And so when he goes to God in prayer, he's saying, God, I pray that you will send rain as you have promised, you will send it. Mm-hmm. And he prayed fervently based on God's revealed will. He trusted that God would do what he said he was going to do. Uh, the only difference between this and us praying for healing is... We don't know for sure that that's God's will. We really have to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, Elijah was told as a prophet, it's going to rain in three and a half years. We haven't been told that this person's going to come back from the dead. Uh, and we're not going to talk about the gift of prophecy because we already have. But uh, that's important to understand in this context when it uses Elijah as an example Elijah already knew the will of God, and he prayed in accordance with that will. So, whatever we pray, we should keep that into, uh, we should keep that in our mind. So, the second view now. So, the first view, just recapping real quick, is faith will result in healing, uh, which is wrong. Um, faith might result in healing if it's in accordance with God's will. The second view is a good one. The second and third one, I haven't made up my mind about it to be honest with you. I think they're both really good views. The second one is. Faith is necessary for healing, but God's will is also required. Okay, so it's basically saying here that James is not saying anything that would contradict 
Paul praying three times and being told no. It wouldn't contradict John in First uh, John 5.14 saying you have to pray according to God's will. He's assuming that his audience already knows these things. And so we should read scripture in light of scripture. It's just kind of like the Lord's Prayer right out of the gate. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like he just had to pray. That's yeah, like exactly. one of the first things he said. Thy will be done. So mm-hmm. he's assuming that they already know these things. So it, the difference uh, between the first view and the second view is the second view <laughs> is consistent with scripture. But they do have something in common. The second view will say, like the first one, that it's assuming a broad audience, so this would apply today for us. So the third view, which I'm about to explain, it's more narrow. They'd say it's first century Jewish audience. But the second view says, yes, this view, or or this text rather, it does apply to us today. Uh, We should understand some of the the contextual clues here. Anointing him, they would argue anointing is um, medicine. And there is some reason to believe that. For example, the word for anointing here is not kriane, which means to anoint religiously or ceremonially. It's alephane, which means to rub. So it's rubbing oil essential, on someone's body. The essential oils? It's basically the holy yeah. essential oils. So this would be take care of the person, okay? You know, use medicine. Okay, there's nothing wrong with medicine. God ordained the use of medicine. Uh, this would be equivalent to taking someone to a doctor, okay? And after having done that, Pray to God that the person would be healed, whether that is accomplished through a surgeon or that is accomplished through God's direct, you know, inter, inter, interference or uh, uh, God's direct power. Intervention. Intervention. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. You're uh, so anyways, regardless of which happens, it's still healing from God. So they would say the anointing with oil is medicinal. That's one key point that we'll come back to. The third view is faith will result in healing. So like the first view, it's a done deal. Like this will happen. Um, They would say that this is certainly a promise to the people who read this text. Uh, They would say this is different than the kind of prayer that we have today. And, you know, in our place in the church age, when we read 1 John 5.14, that applies to us. We go to God in prayer. We ask that God will do something, but we know that it's according to his will or in accordance with his will, that's what's necessary. Um, you have to have faith and that. They would say that this is different. This is a first century thing, and they would say it's to the Jews. In James chapter 1, verse number 1, James said um, he was a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So they would say that's automatically a clue. So we're first century. It's one of the earliest letters, perhaps the first letter that was written. Um, the Jewish believers. The first book of the New Testament that was written is James. It was written to Jewish believers. Uh, we know that the kingdom gospel was being preached during this time. So the people who hold this view would be dispensationalists, and they would say this ties into something called the healing covenant. So I'm going to read you a few verses here. Y'all can look at it with me if you want. But Exodus chapter 23, 25. 23. 25. This is something that God promised the Jews and he didn't promise the Gentiles. He says, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So it was a physical, earthly promise to God's physical, earthly people that they would be 
prospered with food and water and health. And this was something that was based on their service. This is part of the Mosaic Covenant. So this would be like a sub-covenant. You shall serve the Lord your God. Another verse that goes along with this is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7, 15. Deuteronomy 7, 15. And this is what it reads. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Again, this is based on their obedience to the covenant that they have received from God through Moses. So the dispensational view would say that at this time in history, God is doing something new. He's pouring out his spirit. Okay, that, that pouring out of the spirit was first to the Jews, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. And so at this point, people who were living in uh, Jewish communities who believed in Jesus would receive the blessings that were promised to God's people, specifically healing. And as they received these promises, it would be a miraculous thing that would highlight that Jesus is the true Messiah and the kingdom is within reach. And if you wanted to come, then repent. So it was a taste, it was a token of all the blessings that the Jews will receive during the millennium. Mm. And so this is something that, again, would set them apart, like tongues would set them apart, uh, the different operations of healing that are described in Acts. Mm -hmm. But this was a particularly Jewish thing because it ties into the healing covenant. So at this time in history, obviously, the Jewish community is being split down the middle. He's on one side, those who believe Jesus is Messiah, and on the other side, those who don't. So they would argue that this was for the first century when the kingdom gospel is still being offered to. And so uh, I do believe that uh, Merrill Unger argued this view and uh, his book on uh, exorcism. So in that book, he touches on a number of different types of miracles. Uh, the main part of the book is dedicated to exorcism. And I don't mm. agree with him on everything that he says there, but I think he's probably right here when he talks about the healing covenant. Uh, but again, I'm not entirely sure. The second view that I already explained, I think, is you know, biblically sound. Um, the reason that a lot of people would gravitate towards the second view is because it says this text applies today. And of course, a lot of people who aren't used with the dispensational way of reading scripture, they would be bothered by that. They just mm -hmm. want everything that's in the Bible, starting in the Gospel of Matthew, if it's not in the Old Testament, if it's in the New Testament, then it's all for us. It's mm -hmm. all applied to us. So when you start telling them, ah, well, you know, the, really. law, the law was still in force until Jesus died on the cross. And even after his resurrection, you know, he gave them 40 years mm -hmm. to respond to these signs. And if they would have repented, the Jews would have received the kingdom. They didn't. And so they were judged. And so this is this kind of stuff that a lot yeah. of average day Christians have not been taught. And so... Whenever you expose someone to a text like this and say, yeah, this doesn't apply to us, they're like, well, it's in my Bible, ain't it? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so you kind of have to go back to the fundamentals. Right. But if you if you build properly on those fundamentals, and that's what we talked a lot about in the series, then it shouldn't be a surprise that he's talking to a Jewish audience. We're in the first century. The kingdom gospel is being preached. The healing covenant kind of ties mm -hmm. nicely into all of that. So. Yeah. Now, the only objection that I could think of to this, uh, besides saying, well, you don't really have positive proof for it. And that's true. You don't have mm -hmm. positive proof for it. Okay, It's speculative. It fits the context. But why not 
you know, just assume that the second view is the right one, you know, unless the text outrightly says, you know, this only could apply to the first century or, or gives you a clear indication in the text that it could only apply to the first century, then why assume that? You know, you're kind of missing out, they might say, on a text that's for us by, you know, sticking it in that mm-hmm. transitionary period. Uh, but well, that's true. I still think that the general context of the letter serves some, or you know, gives us some proof. Not proof. That's not the word I'm looking for. It gives us some reasonable indication that it could be interpreted um, as a kingdom gospel sort of thing. But one more point that I wanted to mention here: uh, the second view would say that the anointing with oil is medicinal. And on the surface, that is a good point because there are two different words, like I mentioned, for anointing. And the word that's used here is for medicinal purposes. However, this word for rubbing of oil is used in Mark 6.13. So I want you all to look with me at Mark 6.13. And I want you to uh, tell me what you think here because I don't think that Mark 6.13 is talking about oil used medicinally. But uh, Mark 6.13, this is talking about the disciples healing people. Uh, It says in verse number 12 that they went out and preached that men should repent. Verse 13, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Mm. So in this context, though the term anoint is aliphane to rub, since Jesus gave them a commission of miraculous healing, and we know how this worked, okay? they were apostles, they were prophets, and they were given the commission to pronounce healing upon people. That was specifically what they were told to do. Anointing here, to me, fits a lot more with a symbolic purpose rather than a medicinal one. So, like Jesus, when he rubbed that uh, clay, the mud yeah, in the guy's yeah, eyes, yeah, yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. that had no medicinal value. No. Okay, but it was symbolic. Okay, it, it was it was something that, I mean, yeah, of course, God could do anything without symbols, sure. right? I mean, he could just say what he means, okay, without any help of visual aid. Um, he like could, dude dipping in the Jordan River seven times. Exactly. Right. Like, does he need to do any of that? No. no. Okay, but it, it does serve Naaman. a purpose. Naaman dipping in. Naaman, thank you. It does serve a purpose, and so I think that the oil hill represents the Holy Spirit. I like dude better. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the oil here represents the Holy Spirit. All these miracles are being accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it makes sense that oil will be done. Uh, So that way, whenever the oil is put on them, it's a statement that, hey, we're not doing this. This is God. So you're saying it's not young living essential oils? No, I don't think so. Uh, not according. Okay, so I'm I'm saying I haven't made up my mind between view two and three. According to view three, though, they would say no. This has nothing to do with essential oils. This is representing the Holy Spirit, and they're doing this symbolically, like laying their hand on the the head of a sacrifice was symbolic, and it didn't actually transfer sins, but it was something that they were told to do. Similarly, they were told to do this. So. The oil really doesn't decide the issue because, again, on the surface, the term supports the medicinal use. However, 
Mark 16, 13 is an example of the very same term being used, and it's clearly symbolic there. Okay, so uh, like I said, I don't know. I don't know, as y'all already know, and Scott reminds me all the time, I don't know everything. Okay. <laughs> so How do I have this this what's reputation. Reputation, thank you. So uh but it's good, it keeps me humble. But the idea is um I don't know everything. The Canadian in me. Is yeah, that's right. You know, you gotta keep put people in their place, right? Well no, it's more about keeping people humble. <laughs> Politely. I, I respect that. Thank I you. I respect that, Scott. Yeah. So uh maybe uh you're the my thorn fault. in the flesh Sorry. that I should learn to appreciate. Sorry, it's my fault. <laughs> but but seriously, Sorry. What, I, what I'm saying is I don't know when it comes to certain texts. Like I know that in certain places, this is what it doesn't mean. Like I can say that when it comes to certain it doesn't mean this. Because if it means this, then it contradicts that. And God's word never contradicts. That's right. But when I have more than one option that is one hundred percent consistent with the Bible, and I, I don't really know for sure. I'm just going to present those options and say both of these give honor and glory right. to God and they fit what he says elsewhere. And so pray about it and maybe God will reveal it to you. Maybe he'll, you know, give you some insight that I can't give you. And uh, that's a prayer that I can continue to pray when it comes to this text and many others. Give me insight when it comes to this because I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. And it used to bother me a whole lot more when I didn't know. But again, uh, I approach the Bible with. Um, uh, you call it a rule of faith or the analogy of faith, I think is what the reformers called it. That if over here in the Bible, it clearly states something, okay, in no uncertain terms, right? then I'm going to read that into everything else, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? As long as you got that right, when it says salvation's a free gift, anywhere in the Bible, okay, you run into something and it seems to be talking about works, okay? You can say, okay, well, this isn't talking about salvation mm -hmm. because salvation is a free gift that's yep. the analogy of faith so using that principle in interpreting james 5 you are left with only two options they both make sense yep. and if i don't know the answer while i'm down here eventually i will yep. but i will say though that uh, view number two saying faith is necessary for healing but god's will is also required and uh, that we should take people to the Lord in prayer, uh, intercessory prayer, and uh, we should trust that God's going to work in a mighty way, but also knowing that sometimes he doesn't work in the way we expect. That's something we need to do all the time. We need to have that in our minds. We need to act upon that and apply that belief. And so in a way, like I said, view two it has the strength of being applicable for us today. Mm -hmm. But even if that's not what it's saying here, it says it elsewhere in the Bible, that that's right. the kind of attitude of faith that we should have when we go to God in prayer. It's, it's like the saying, you know, interpret the Bible with the Bible. Yes, right. yes, so, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, anyways, hopefully James 5 makes more sense to you. That I'm, hermeneutics guy. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Yeah, him, hermeneutics. that guy. Dude. His last name out, netics. Got you in it. Hermeneutics. Yeah, it's a hard word. It's like a, a tough one. Spelling bee contest. That's worse than like Smith for last name. Nudics. Oh, hermeneutics. Woo! Anyways, thank y'all for listening to us. This is going to for sure finish the series on healing. And we hope that it was a blessing to you. <laughs>